So you got a freezer. Yeah. I, uh, I did. I finally got a freezer. And it's a big deal. Because freezers, when the pandemic hit, went out of stock right away. And they were impossible to get. You had to get on a waiting list. But I didn't get on any waiting list. I just waited on my own. I'm not going to give my name to a company. <laughs> it's insane. And I almost, uh, you know, I was getting pressure to buy one. Getting pressure from all sides to buy this freezer. And I almost bought one about a couple of weeks ago for like $500. But I waited. I kept waiting. And mm. then lo and behold, they came in stock. Got one at Lowe's today for the low price of 250 bucks. Whoa, that's cheap. It's pretty good. Um, it's a seven. How big is it? Is seven, it like human body sized freezer? Can fit a whole human body in it? I'm or thinking, would you have to chop up the body? Yeah, I think you're going to have to chop it up. Uh, it's seven mm. cubic feet. So should mm. be enough for a thousand bottles of breast milk. <laughs> which is what, oh my God. That's what it's for. A thousand for. bottles of breast milk on the wall. <laughs> a thousand bottles of breast milk. You take one down, sell it to the uh, Jordanian prime minister. Yeah. That's what why do you we're on with all this breast milk. Yeah, that's why we're bottling the breast milk for the Jordanian prime minister. Um, yeah, for when he comes to visit. No, we are uh, we are expecting a little baby girl. Oh my God! You heard it here. Heard it here on first. House of Decline. Yeah, this is to all of our listeners, um, Stephen and uh, his uh, partner. Partner. Partner is what we're saying. Yeah, my partner Jack Dump. And I, yeah. <laughs> we're having a little baby girl. <laughs> yeah. And, and we're going to need lots of breast milk for that. Yeah, and a are. freezer for the breast milk. Yeah. And, well, it's going to uh, be great because I don't think we'll free fill up the whole freezer with breast milk. I think we'll be able to put some nice things in there. Like, um, uh, there's a store called Zingamans. You know Zingamans. Zing- Zingamans? Zingamans. It's a, yeah, it's a very weird store in Ann Arbor, Michigan. Because it started out as like an anarchist That's deli, right. That's and right. now it's an ultra-capitalist deli. Oh, yeah. It's a capitalist deli. started as an anarchist deli, and they um, slowly over time started paying their employees less and less. <laughs> <laughs> but they have a sale on 100 pot pies, frozen. If you want to get 100 frozen pot pies, <laughs> they give you 20% off, and like... I think that's at least 30%. Just at the end of the year, you're just madly eating pot pies. We got to make this. They're all going to expire. Hey, they are good. They are good pot pies. The dough they use is good. So no complaints from me. And But they're expensive. They're small, like a small pot pie, like a single serving pot pie. And it's like 11 bucks. Mm. Um, but yeah. You pay we, for quality, baby. Hey, when, 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 when that little baby is born... We're going to be wanting to eat pre-made food without having to fix stuff, so. Yeah, Frozen that is, pot that's pies. a, you have to make time strategies now. You know, you no longer can you do fancy hand-stapled things. You're going to have to use a stapler. You know, you can't use wire cutters to do your staples anymore, like an artisan anymore. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> so. Goodbye to goodbye to beautiful letters. You you won't be able to do wax seals anymore now that you have a baby. Oh, hey, so you can goodbye see, to your wax seal days. The listeners won't be able to appreciate this, but Alex, you'll be able to appreciate it. <gasps> oh my God, I am currently seeing the ultrasound picture. I, I don't know what I'm looking at. Don't, it's a you circle. Don't, you don't see the head right circles. there. 
That that could be ahead, but I'm notoriously bad at reading these things. These are like Rorschach tests for me. All I just see are like my parents arguing. Okay, well, there's a head and the heartbeat. <laughs> there's a head. Normal. There's and, a head and a heartbeat is normal. And yeah. It's a beautiful thing. Congratulations, Stephen. It actually, it does warm my heart. Well, you know, we are, we're going to have to think about all the things you think about. Like, at what age is it appropriate for the child to watch Bloodsport? <laughs> like the movie or just like MMA? No, the movie. The Jean-Claude Van Damme movie. <laughs> um, some some rad shit happens in that movie. Some people get pretty fucked up. I'm thinking eight? Nine? Uh, eight is good for Bloods. Eight is... Uh, when did I watch Bloodsport? I don't know. Depends on, depends on what the little lady or we don't know. Because as we've been finding out, they uh, she could be assigned female at birth. Turns out, no, that's not the case. Or she could be a Seinfeld at birth, you know. Comes she out and be a just... Sein... I'm a Seinfeld at birth. Ma'am, uh, we, the test <laughs> results have come back. Seinfeld, uh, I'm very sorry. Where? Where? <laughs> Where? What's the deal with all this frozen breast milk? Where? Yeah. Where? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, the test I'm results. A baby over here. It's looking like it's coming up. It's coming up, George. Um, <laughs> the three gender. The the three genders are Jerry, George, and Kramer. <laughs> no, no. Yeah. No I want to live in, I want to live in a world where the three genders are are Jerry, George, and Kramer, and that's there's no women. <laughs> it's just Jerry, Georges, and Kramers. <laughs> that that is my favorite Biden line so far. When he was asked how many genders there are, he said, "There's at least three. Yeah, perfect answer. Great answer, Joe. Your diamond, Joe. Um, fucking. But yeah, it would be it would be cool if uh your baby came out the out the snatch coming out like uh coming out like George Costanza. I mean, all babies sort of do look like George Costanza. Uh, yeah, it is true. In a way, Costanza is the Ur baby. Remember when uh, George is eating uh, the the ice cream at the at the baseball game, and and the commentators <laughs> put the camera on him and they make fun of him. Yeah, because he's a little treat baby. Yeah, that's when he's looking like a baby from the womb. It looks yeah, like he yeah. just came out of a came out of a birth canal filled with ice cream. <laughs> <laughs> birth canal. That's a crazy word. It's uh, uh we shouldn't have named this nearby tributary the birth canal it's because all the water is just human viscera yeah yeah <laughs> that's a cool that would be a cool river a river of viscera 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 hello this is our doom metal band river of viscera river of viscera river of viscera someone on twitter was talking about the um how you for razor blade disposal, the method used to be yeah. to just put a hole in the wall and put your razor blades through it. Okay. And then they started showing pictures of, um, you know, b behind the wall after like 50 yeah. years of just like rusty razor blades. But the reason they yeah. were doing it was because people used to put razor blades in the trash and then it would, the, the trash would, you know, very, in, you know, be disposed of and start cutting the people up. Um, but yeah, someone was saying razor blade disposal would be a good name for a band. 
razor blade disposal. Yeah. For some reason, <laughs> my first instinct went to they were putting they were putting razor blades behind the wall, and then a bunch of rats started fighting with razor blades. They learned how to use them. Okay, so the weird thing this was such so commonplace. There's a children's book from like the 40s about a little kitten that gets stuck in the wall, and it lives on top of a nest of razor blades. That's very funny. It's, it's very 40s. Yeah. It's like uh, a tough little kitten. See, that's what that's what we're lacking today is we have no sense of futurism because Francis, the man Francis Fukuyama may have been more correct than he thought when he said we were at the end of history. Uh, because there, do you, do you think there is any sense of futurism today? Or there's any sort of conception of you know, building a better future, how we're going to get there, uh, what it's going to look like. Do you, do you think we have any of that, or do you think our culture today is entirely nostalgia-based? Some people do, but they're being, like, weird. It's the Bitcoin people. Um, that's yeah, those you're people. right. The Bitcoin people are the weird futurists. I guess that's the whole point of Elon yeah. Musk, is that he is represents some sort of futurism. But, you know, for the people in the... For the people in the more cynical know, he yeah. doesn't actually represent a future. He represents a status quo. He represents, um, well, actually, that's not, it, it's something, it, there, there, there's capitalist futurism and socialist futurism, right? Mm -hmm. And I feel like in eras with presidents that were, you know, right wing and there was like, a big right-wing component in culture, like during the Reagan and Eisenhower eras, that's when, like, a sense of capitalist futurism reigned. You know, the um, and then in the 60s, you know, when uh, times were different, a sense of more socialist or communist future began to take hold in properties like Star Trek. But, um, yeah, I, I just feel like, in general... Since not since the '80s has there been this really forward-looking sense in culture. I mean, people. I feel like a lot of people view Elon Musk with skepticism. Maybe I'm mm -hmm. just in my bubble. Maybe people don't. Some people do. Yeah. Um, yeah. He's uh, certainly attracts like uh, intense feelings. You either love him or you hate him. Um, yeah. But I don't know how the average person feels about it. I, I feel like the average person doesn't really give a shit about Elon Musk. Probably not. They don't have not. strong feelings one way or another. Probably not. I, I mean, the, I, I'm seeing more Teslas. They are okay. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I really think the, the, the futurism or the futurists have, the, those that are left that haven't been beaten down by, you know, what the internet became. Because mm -hmm. it used to be the, the, the previous generation of futurists were all inter just internet in general advocates. Mm -hmm. and now they're all Bitcoin advocates. And I mean, the it's an admirable goal getting mm -hmm. rid of or, or coming up with a way of um, having currency that's not linked to one nation state. But mm -hmm. I'm very skeptical that the people, the powerful people won't just take control of it when yeah. they feel like they need to. Yeah, I mean, all you'd need to do to take control of it is to have the most servers generating Bitcoin, right? Or maybe I'm too naive. I don't understand well, it at all. If we're gonna get into the nitty gritty, I, yeah, I don't, I don't know for sure. There, I, I shouldn't be talking I about it. I do think there are theories that the United States does hold a lot of Bitcoin secretly, 
Mm. And they're kind of waiting for a good moment to switch the currency peg to um, Bitcoin. There's always conspiracy theories like that. Mm. Um, and there's, I mean, you know, the where it came from is murky and suspicious because no one knows who invented it. It's a Japanese guy, right? Yeah, but he doesn't. It's like a Japanese guy that doesn't exist. It's it's uh, it's Hideo Kojima. It's like it's actually was just Kojima's son. It's like L from Ergo Proxy, <laughs> actually, no, or Er from Death Note. Right. Is, is, There's is, a lot of L's. Is L in Death Note? I thought he was in Ergo Proxy. L there is. There's an L in Death Note. Okay, I mean He's the, the L world's in Death greatest Note. detective. Yeah. Oh yeah, who uh, who hunts down uh, Raito Yagami. Yeah. Good old uh, Death Note. Terrible terrible Netflix adaption. Yeah, the the oh. live action version which yeah. which had um Lakeith Stanfield as L doing his best. <laughs> so weird. <laughs> With what really he was weird. given. Yeah. It, it didn't really translate to uh live action white people that well. The Japanese live action version is great because it's just a straight up adaptation and they give him the anime hair. Yeah. But yeah, the, the <laughs> uh I shouldn't say white people. Lakeith Stanfield is black. Um so there is also something that I've been mulling about just because I'm trying to fixate on one of the funniest pieces of fallout from the Capitol Hill massacre. <laughs> Let's go the mm, Capitol Hill massacre. Yes. Uh, yeah, uh is uh the fact that indie famed indie in quotes, mm -hmm. uh, musicians, uh, John Mouse and Ariel Pink were among the people protesting, mm -hmm. which is very funny because usually you associate that sort of music with, you know, uh, coastal intelligentsia that broadly have at least liberal politics. You don't really usually associate that with the far right. But, you know, upon further investigation into the similarities between hipster culture and sort of fascist ideology, I, I think there's actually a lot more to it. Yeah, well, uh, I think it makes a lot of sense, and I still, I'll still listen to Ariel Pink. I don't care if he goes to a Yeah, Trump. I like Ariel Pink's music a lot, but um, aesthetically, and uh, aesthetically and ideologically, it all has to do with aesthetic. It is very similar to the aesthetics propounded by fascist ideology in yeah. some ways. Your nostalgia theory. Okay, so this starts with this starts all with Williamsburg, really, which is what, colonial is, or a Brooklyn uh, with Brooklyn, Brooklyn baby, Brooklyn based Williamsburg, Brooklyn. not colonial, not colonial Williamsburg, which I have been to, Although, and it's in a way, delightful. I have to say, the glass blowing, the <laughs> the bespoke honey, yeah. yeah, man, I'm into glass blowing, and by glass, I mean dick. <laughs> like, like glass is slang for a, a, some kind of drug. It's a slang for meth, Ooh. which is it's a glass blowing is when you're sucking dick on meth. Ooh, <laughs> I wish, that's pretty good. That sounds fun. Um, sounds like a fun thing. Sounds like a midlife crisis for me. That's the so, one I'll pick. <laughs> meth and dick. in your your glass blowing phase. Mm. Get real skinny. Yes. Yeah. House party after the kid goes to college. Yeah, <laughs> your glass oh please, there won't be colleges in eighteen years. They'll just be like <laughs> you're right. They'll just be like Uber accreditation course online mm -hmm. that you do in your car for drive through See? everything. 
Exactly. You have no hope in the future. You have no sense of future. There's no Star Trek future. You know, there's no like uh, uh, space space and lost in space 1989 future. Everyone's in suits. You know, when we're fighting space communism, 1950s future, there's no 80s. You know, we're all in flying cars back to the future future. No, there's but, no future because um, we're at the end. Of General history. Motors did announce a uh, flying Cadillac just this week. So it's great. It's finally happening. Wee! Yeah. The flying car. Flintstones. Meet the Flintstones. That was the future show. So um, um, back to Ariel Pink and the nostalgia Nazis. Well, yeah, so Williamsburg, and in a way it is colonial Williamsburg because it was an example of modern colonization, but not in a way of force, but in a way of financial force. Mm. So it's funny that fascist people talk about the Great Replacement because the Great Replacement is all about, uh, you know, uh, fucking they're going to outfuck white people and suddenly Latino people will form this significant social and political voting block and change everything to favor Latino people. Mm -hmm. You know, that was a yeah. hard, that's a hard line by even like moderate right wingers, uh, so-called moderate right wingers. They believe in this great replacement theory, which is very funny because the, the great replacement that I witnessed with my own eyes happening. And the only one I've ever seen is, um, was in Williamsburg in Brooklyn, mm -hmm. where over the course of 10 years, from like 2005 to 2015, it went from a predominantly Puerto Rican working class neighborhood to white bourgeois hipster ass amusement park land, you yeah. know? And in the way that um, the far right fears the idea of a nonviolent way to oppress, to eventually, you know, oppress white people, uh, this was in essence, what they feared come to life, a nonviolent way to oppress somebody uh, just by uh, through through a form of like essentially population dominance. And uh, that really happened with uh, white people. I, I will say mostly white because there is, you know, Williamsburg is multiracial, mm -hmm. but uh, the common denominator is that a lot of them, if not all of them come from some sort of privilege. And uh, that privilege culture also reflects uh, an entrenched, mostly white culture or a culture with white hallmarks. Would you agree with that or will you challenge? No challenges. Uh, this is okay. your, these are the opinions stated are held by Jack Dump and not necessarily Hack Dump. Yeah. So I um, have no challenges yet other than. I don't like Williamsburg. Yeah, Williamsburg is... I imagine there was an age in which it was probably whimsical, like yeah, it was intended the era, to be. During the, the era of the strokes. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, yeah, because Williamsburg... Uh, uh, the prototype of Williamsburg was what happened to the Lower West Side on Manhattan. And after that became too expensive, that's when uh, the young college, college age, you know, white working class kids... Uh, not working class, but young bourgeoisie kids who are just coming out from college. So you're poor, but you're not really poor because you still have access to your parents, you know, uh, mm -hmm. money and that safety net. So you move across the river to Williamsburg, which now has the rents that you can afford. Mm -hmm. um, but with it, you bring your privilege. You don't know you're bringing your privilege, but you do anyway. Um, and in bringing this privilege... 
you don't really necessarily um, help the local businesses in a way. You know, you don't necessarily shop at the like bodegas with piles of human shit in the corner mm. because, you know, you've learned you've become accustomed to something different and you start your own businesses and that attracts, you know, people from your old life. You unwittingly create a neighborhood where you are catering to the aspects from your own life and not for the people that were already there. Mm-hmm. Um, and so in doing so, you have more or less unwittingly created, you know, a great replacement yeah. because well, you, you do you this know. enough. The aspects of your old privileged life come into the neighborhood. They raise the rents and, uh, you know, working class families that were, the, and the only reason why the rent was so cheap in the neighborhood to begin with is because 40 years ago, minority working class people were redlined into that neighborhood. And um, so it, it's just uh, an example of like a white takeover, which is, I think, something that was envisioned and propagated not with intent except for one person that I can definitely say with intent propagated that. And that's Vice co-founder Gavin McInnes. Mm. He, um, was, uh, he was um, in Williamsburg? He he is... I want to look up this article. Because okay. this is like... This is a crazy article. Typing noises. Um, it comes from 2012 before we knew for certain, for certain, he was an actual Nazi. Um... And whoops, whoops, one sec, one second. Yeah, so so this is in from March nineteenth, twenty twelve. Gavin McInnes, the Godfather of Vice, in Canadian magazine Maclean's by Nicholas Kohler. I wanna, I wanna go to the, uh, a few a few times in a few paragraphs in. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is in 2012. People broadly did not know that he was an actual white supremacist. They just thought that he was an ironic white supremacist. Um, and so the article goes, His fascination with the unutterable culminated in McInnes's 2005 stag, where his friend surprised him with a faux KKK rally, complete with hoods, a flaming wooden cross, and his best friend, Derek Beckles, who is a black man, uh, officiating with a wedge of watermelon in his hands. Smith and Alvey did not attend. That's Shane Smith and Suresh Alvey, the co-founders of Vice. Maybe they were right to be offended by that gay multicultural Klansman rally, because maybe that isn't a bright future for the brand, McInnes says. Hmm. Um, and, you know, it goes on to be... This is when we didn't know that also Gavin McInnes was f- fired from Vice because he was a white supremacist, essentially, hmm. and this article doesn't make reference to it. Um, but this is the paragraph that I find really chilling and really evident of the sort of this example of how hipster culture pervades modern fascist notions and desires to displace minority culture. So this paragraph, yet his willingness to showcase the marginalized and his eye for debauched cool defined vice. He is widely considered the godfather of hipsterism, the dominant youth culture for much of the last decade, associated with skinny jeans, large plastic glasses, and grilled cheese sandwiches. But if hipsterism was in part a celebration of style over substance hedonism, McInnes is a workhorse. 
For a long time, he wrote most of the magazine, and he scouted photographic talents like McGinley, going so far as to rummage through boxes in McGinley's bedroom to find shots. Uh, McInnes's influence peaked after Vice decamped to the Williamsburg section of Brooklyn in mm. 2000. Ah, I see. For I Vice's, see the connection now. Here is the connection. For Vice's influential do's and don'ts feature, street photography accompanied by McInnes's funny, withering fashion commentary, he began documentary documenting young people around Bedford Avenue, where crack was still a significant social ingredient. Bedford now is like a fashion show, he says. I know women who won't walk down if they're not dressed right. He owns a home there. And this is the crazy quote. If you create a neighborhood, he says, you should live in it. Um, mm. So that was, it was a neighborhood before, yeah. but he said he created the neighborhood and that's why he lives in it. And, you know, that is, you know, the example of white takeover in a nutshell as envisioned by uh, these neo-fascists, these irony fascists. Do you um, think Ariel Pink is worried about a... A white replacement? Uh, no, I don't think Ariel Pink is worried about a white replacement, but I think the aesthetic um, dovetails with that idea because the aesthetic is inherently backwards looking. Yeah. And, you know, that is, it is in a reaction to sort of a, a world of no future. You know, you go to the past in order to define the future. And, you know, that's uh, uh, fascist movements have always done that. You know, the the Hitlerian obsession with Rome and shit like that. And, you know, the days of yore, you know, it always goes back to there was a time when it was better back then. Mm -hmm. And in our life, that has been a broad cultural obsession and affinity to the 80s, which was the last time there was capitalist futurism. It also, with music, happened with the 60s, though. Mm-hmm. But maybe that's, diff- maybe that's a different era, because that was such a time of new, new like, new and interesting uh, innovation in music. So maybe we can set aside the nostalgia for the 60s, because I feel like nostalgia for 60s music will kind of be at a constant hum for the next century, kind of like how yeah. the Renaissance probably had. It was... I'm not saying the hippie movement in the 60s was as big deal as the Renaissance, but yeah. it was a big deal for art, I would say. But I, I think nostalgia for 60s, especially it was more at a fever pitch during the Bush years when you had, I feel that was when hmm. people were fetishizing the 60s the most. Maybe I'm wrong about that. I don't know, but I do see that the next major nostalgia era is the 80s. Ariel Pink yeah. does it. John Mouse. I mean, John Mouse, who was there with Ariel Pink... Yeah. Gives interviews about all his, um, you know, authentic synthesizers that he's gotten, mm-hmm. all this, um, you know, vintage equipment um, mm-hmm. that's nice and cool stuff, but it kind of has like a very exclusive feel to it because that's very expensive equipment. Yeah, it's uh, uh, an obsession with authenticity and exclusivity is also what defines fascism because it's an obsession with, you know, defining an in-group and an out-group based exclusively off of appearance, Mm -hmm. based exclusively. uh, uh, Presentation is the most important thing. And, you know, it even says in the article that um, the, the idea of vice is style over substance. 
Hmm. Um, but the point of the style is the substance, you know, that, that is, that is the point of uh, lots have been, uh, has been written on the idea of fashion and fascism coinciding. Hugo Boss designed uniforms for the Nazis, you know, the idea that to be finally appointed and uh, to appear in such a way as to signify that you are a member of the in-group. And uh, when you do that through hipster fashion, that's how you signify that as well. Hmm. Uh, well, what, his, what was I comparing it his, to? His, Ariel Pink's fashion sense is um, questionable. Not Ariel Pink is sort of Ariel Pink is different enough, which is why I can still listen to their music. But um, you know how like uh, Paxton, Robert Paxton, defined fascism as uh, suppression of the left amid uh, popularity, but also like appropriating the language of of popular twentieth century communist and populist movements. You know that the, the mm. reason why the Nazis called it National Socialism was to capitalize on sort of the general popularity of socialist ideas at the time hmm. um, while simultaneously suppressing that. Um, and current fascism, or I shouldn't say fascism, but hipster culture was about appropriating the, the uh, populist ideals with, through flannel and mustaches and PBR. It was sort of a, about evoking that idea of old timey you know to some degree mm -hmm. whiteness um you, you know your dad's whiteness and you could hide behind irony to criticize it uh to prevent uh, people from criticizing it as well um uh, but, but the introduction of irony or meta-awareness allows the aesthetic to escape criticism by accepting descent to the aesthetic as part of the aesthetic mm -hmm. you know yeah. that's in the same way that you accept you know that fascism accepts communism or at least a curated version of it as part of its aesthetic as well through people like ernst Röhm and uh, you know other beefsteak nazis the sturmabteilung that hitler eventually killed in the night of long knives uh and so uh the other, so it's backwards looking, right? And what's notable for uh, the other thing about the 80s is it had yacht rock and synth pop. Mm -hmm. And those are the styles that dominate the pitchfork approved hipster culture. Um, at least as it was in the gentrification of Williamsburg days from like 2005 to 2015. Um and what is notable about both yacht rock and synth pop is is the fact that they're they wear their shallowness and as part of their aesthetic the point is they're shallow hmm. and that's what's fun about it and to criticize the shallowness is to not understand it and to be uncool and part of the out group as well yeah we got to define out groups that's like a human drive is like if there is no out group you panic because it maybe it means you're in the out group, so you start scrambling to do everything you can to make another out group, and then you can ostracize them, because the worst thing in the world is to be in the out group. It's the worst feeling. Like, and you kind of know that feeling from growing up, being on the playground, being picked last, 
Mm. Maybe not being picked at all. Maybe Ariel mm-hmm. Pink was just never picked for his favorite team games yeah. on the playground. Maybe they always would rub his face in the dirt because he has a girl's name. <laughs> <laughs> Who wants to get back at him by uh, by being on Team White People? Yeah, so I Ariel Pink... The, I want to be on the winning team for once. Just to give a little more context, he ended up getting on Fox News this week. Yes. And a very funny thing that started happening was all of the right-wing crazies on Twitter and on other social media started posting like, I just found out about Ariel Pink. How do I support him and buy his music? He is such a brave figure. (laughs) I really want to find out what he's all about. And people are like, wow, you're going to go on a wild ride. (laughs) Uh, Man, I love the idea of like all of these uh, fascists fast right-wing people like getting into lcd sound system and animal collective like hipster music from from 10 years ago it's not good (laughs) it's not good because it's going to allow concealment cultural concealment we want to be able to you know pick them out that's why typo negative is a good band because like if with like so typo negative has has like very dubious nazi hit like stuff going on um, I didn't know about this until recently because I was reading about medievalists and mm. their uh, like struggles, medieval historians and their struggles with um, white nationalism and fascism because a lot of those kind of people retcon history to uh, for their their evil purposes. And in it, interestingly, so the band Typo Negative in the '90s either ironically or not ironically maybe as a, in, this is like a hallmark of what was to come came up with the vinland fl- flag vinland is the name for north america if the vikings discovered it which according to some historians vikings did reach newfoundland in like the mm-hmm. year 1000 leif erikson that's not really the new world well, it's on the... That's, yeah, just, it is. that's just Newfoundland. I mean, no, you know, it doesn't count. It counts, sort of, but like <laughs> they didn't really <laughs> make it very far. But yeah. so um, Peter Steele of Typo Negative came up with the Vinland flag, which is a green flag with a black cross, which became the Kekistan flag. Oh, Later. interesting. Mm-hmm. And that is a connection... That that not too many people have made, but the Vinland idea is that North America is for white people. Mm. And it's saying that white people discovered it before Columbus. So it's, you know, like other uh, white nationalist movements, they are trying to establish a sense of belonging to location, which dovetails with what Gavin McInnes was doing with the neighborhood saying this is my neighborhood because now I'm living in it, which is exactly what we did, you know, whether it be Vikings or Spaniards coming over. Um, The Spaniards, by the way, had slavery in America 50 years before 1619. Uh, Why are you so against the 1619 project? That the Anglos are not the only... Spaniards are white. They're all white. Hey, hey, they're not Anglo-Saxon white. So the, yeah, but they're white enough. Yeah, but th- that is a uh, that's actually 
falling victim to the Anglo-Saxon like mentality, which is to say that the first slaves in America were in 1619, when they weren't. They were in St. Augustine, Florida. There you go. By a bunch of Spaniards. Yeah, by the Spaniards. We'll so go it. blame the Spaniards. Go, but we'll, we'll blame the Spaniards. <laughs> Why don't we all just invade Spain? Uh, yeah, they're they're the most England. Turfidius Albion is not the most problematic country. Turf Island, as England is now known as. But yeah, that the that uh, that just kind of you know more music and connections with the modern yeah, movement. Yeah, well, a lot of the music connections. Um, so uh, Neutral Milk Hotel is about being sad that you didn't get to be part of the Holocaust with your best girlfriend, Anne Frank. Yeah, that's so weird to me. <laughs> what is the deal with that? I had no idea when I was listening to Neutral Milk Hotel that it was about that. The only girl I ever loved. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, I, make, I make lots of jokes about that. Uh, because, it, yeah, it's, a, it's such a weird concept. Um, and it fits into my general obsession with Holocaust fetishization. Uh, Norman Finkelstein comments about it in his book, The Holocaust Industry. But also, you know, Holocaust movies with happy endings like Schindler's List and uh, Life is Beautiful, where there's this that it offers a sense of hope in what should have been, you know, a movie that doesn't doesn't really convey the scope of human hope. But uh, because it's Hollywood, it's Hollywood, baby. It's a movie, baby. Got a three X structure. The kids gotta survive the Holocaust. Make the kids survive the Holocaust. <laughs> uh, Cloud Landsman, the director of Showa, was famously critical of uh, fictionalized portrayals of the Holocaust. Right. Yeah, there's only one movie about. Is that the guy who said there's only one movie about the Holocaust he'd watch, and it was like the documentary, or is that someone else? Uh, well, Cloud Landsman directed Showa, which is the be-all and end-all documentary about the Holocaust. Okay. I don't remember who it was, but some famous guy said the only <coughs> film he'd watch. I think Gilliam. I think Terry Gilliam criticized Schindler's List once for having a happy ending. Yeah, I think <laughs> someone is... famous was like the only movie I'd ever watch about the Holocaust is that documentary. Yeah, because well, otherwise it's just there's money. There's like it's just gross because it's an entertainment. Yeah, I I uh, hit I, I Hitler. I mean Steven Spielberg. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. that's a weird Freudian mm-hmm. slip. Uh, but he actually didn't accept directorial fees for the Schindler's List movie, saying it was blood money, which sort of throws the crew hmm. and cast under the bus, yeah, I feel. that's funny. But you know what he donated it to? What? Guess what he donated it to? Which charity did Steven Spielberg donate the blood money to? Uh, Israel? Israeli? Yeah! Well, yeah ding, 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 well, <laughs> Yeah. I mean, they, the they did... It's okay, like... It's okay to have Israel. It's not okay to force people out at gunpoint and then do an apartheid state. We yeah, can, we but, can have know, nuance. The is we can have enough having, nuance that Israel to a, can can exist. <laughs> I don't recognize Israel's. I, as the Jew in the room, I don't recognize Israel's right to exist. Uh, well, no, that's one of true. my cats just took a stinky poop. That's fucking crazy. It is now stinky in here. Man, um, I really hope that um, that stinky poop was in the litter box or I'm going to be angry. <laughs> going to have to squirt some water at a kitty. <laughs> yes. 
It's terribly stinky oh, right now. I cannot concentrate on anything else. Oh my god. <laughs> I... Speaking of human shit, oh. uh, our mutual acquaintance Lucian Wintrich, also in Williamsburg. Oh, it stinks. In here. Uh, he had his alt-right art show with Milo Yiannopoulos and Martin Shkreli, mm-hmm. uh, in which uh, Milo Yiannopoulos uh, bathed in a bunch of blood, uh, bathed in pig's blood, in order to protest the shooting of journalists or something by Islamic terrorists or something like that. It was some bizarre thing. Martin Shkreli's artistic contribution was a pill. Did you see the reporter who was reporting on Martin Shkreli? Fell, and in, fell love, in love with Martin fell Shkreli. Fell in love with him and ruined her life. Yeah, that uh, that is an incredible story. Yeah. That is a just a, a genius fucking move mm-hmm. on her part. Well, he's uh, well, you know, I one don't thing, feel bad I mean, he's for her. A, he's an Adonis. I mean, that's the that's the first thing. It's like he's he, a handsome little boy. He's, is he half god? Is he a demigod? <laughs> My word, he is fucking pure fuck machine it's like he was 1000 percent albanian fuck machine chiseled out of granite mm-hmm. yeah. i think actually jim belushi being the second most the the most famous albanian <laughs> uh dissed martin shkreli saying i'm ashamed he's part of our albanian heritage Jim Belushi v- being very close to uh, governor of Minnesota, um, Jesse, Actually? Ven- Jesse Ventura. No, your your impression. Oh, my impression of Jesse Ventura. <laughs> it's a lot like we're gonna ice these guys. <laughs> they don't know about the aliens in the hot house. Did you watch I, I Ariel Pink it. on Fox News? I couldn't. I couldn't even bother to turn it on. Did you watch the clip? Uh, I watched him saying he was there for his president. Oh he was there to visit his president. What is going on? Did his brain break? What happened? What do you think it's, happened? It's the 80s. When you worship the 80s, of course Donald Trump is your god. Yeah. What are you talking about? It makes total sense. I guess. he's When you, your whole life harkens back to like this embrasure of childhood, too. This idea of... A world where you didn't know as much and didn't have to account for as much, which I feel like always accompanies the nostalgia, too. It's in like the music of the Arcade Fire as well, where it's always this hearkening back to these lost days of childhood that I can never go back to. But I'm just constantly venerating um, because it is the past which defines the future, not our present circumstances, but rather the things that uh, have already happened and we cannot possibly change. Mm-hmm. Yeah, still smells like poop here. So don't have any idea what you're talking about. All I can really think about is the poop molecules going into my brain uh, from my nose. I'm just talking about the hipster to fash pipeline. I saw they. Uh, I saw they found a giant mammoth tusk in Serbia. Uh, I mean Siberia, not Serbia. Now <laughs> you're hearkening back to the past. That'd be funny. What do you know about this mammoth tusk? It's giant. Well, since the, all the ice is melting, <clears throat> we're finding all kinds of goodies. It's a really nice time to be alive. Yeah, great. It's going to be a great period for <laughs> archaeologists yeah. who aren't conscious about the environment. All the ice is melting up in Siberia, and it's a bonanza right now. Like, if you go there yeah. and you can go mammoth tusk hunting, <laughs> like a single mammoth tusk will make you rich for the rest of your life. So, 
I like the idea that all these Russians are finding their lost keys from like 20 years ago. Yeah. Hey, my keys. Uh, (laughs) That's where they were all the time. They're so drunk, they're losing their keys. Yeah. Oh, I lost my key in ice flow. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Uh, I love looking at Google Maps going mammoth tusk hunting. Just looking for little little mammoth tusks pointing out. So, um... Anyway, fash the fash pipeline. There's many pipelines. There's like a whole pipeline yeah. network. Yeah. There's Mario would clean up in this political atmosphere. Yeah. What with all the pipelines. But it seems like they're all going to the fash. There's no like there's no like communism to miracles pipeline. Um a, a what pipe? Com- to what pipeline? To miracles? The communism to miracles oh. pipeline. If we do enough communism, we'll be piped right down a, a sewage drain of pure miracles. Um, I and did, that's how we're going to I don't know about Gavin that, McInnes. but I did see Nikki Haley freaking out about Bernie Sanders being the head of the budget committee, which was... Made, that's pretty cool. That made me LOL, IRL, mm-hmm. if you know what I mean. I, I can't picture Nikki Haley in my head. She just seems like a generic blank woman. Um, yeah, I would say um, I would say I don't want to I don't want to rate her looks. I wouldn't want to rate she's her hot. looks. Are you saying she's hot? No, is what you're saying? no, I'm not. But that would she's be the Trump hot. the Trumpian thing would be to give her a number from one to ten in between them to rate her looks and not go over her credentials in any way how, how big do you think her pussy is how big <laughs> is that part how big mm. do you think nikki haley's pussy is like diameter four we're talking <laughs> four size four now that's, it's a, size now that's four. a big pussy it's a size four hey uh, that's a bigger pussy than in the sopranos well hopefully she will not run for president because she's horrible but anyway that's enough vocal fry for that topic we have to stay mm-hmm. on topic. Besides the poop smell, it won't go uh, away. The hipster to fash pipeline. Oh my god, it's so bad. Uh, the poop smell and the hipster to fash pipeline. Well, that, that's a joke means. that's commonly leveled at Chapo, is the Chapo to fash pipeline. Um, the idea that Chapo or any of these post left Chapo Chapo people aren't post left, but they are friends with post left people, like Greenwald. But I I don't think it's like. Even though I think the post-left is kind of dumb, I don't think they are a meaningful pipeline to any sort of right-wing ideology. I think the idea that Red Scare and Amy Therese are going to turn people actually right-wing is dumb. Um, yeah, but I don't think so. I, I, don't I think they are what how they are accidentally doing fascism is through how I mentioned because these are all Brooklyn people mm. who are setting up, you know, who are all they're all Bed-Stuy based. You know, so they're all Williamsburging Bedstuy in a way, hmm. uh, uh, and they're accidentally because, um, you know, part of this fucking podcast culture does ape the culture started by Gavin McInnes, where you do value style over substance, where uh, it becomes more about projecting an aesthetic, uh, virtue signaling, but only in the most shallow possible way. Uh, then it becomes about doing actual praxis or whatever. And, you, you know, that's why I can't fault the Chapos or why I don't think it's, like, totally different is because they actually, before well, before Bernie lost, they were all into, like, yeah, let's do praxis and shit like that. Let's, uh, let's 
I mean, they're still into that, but they just abandoned electoralism, which is fine. Uh, I I can I'm fine with abandoning that. But yeah, you you recreate because this culture, this thing that Gavin McInnes started, this detached irony, nostalgic style over substance sort of culture that mimics the ideological aesthetic values of fascism is the the mainstream culture for defining yourself as cool or for having cultural cachet in some sort of way uh and you know i participate in it and i think you know to some degree everyone who has part who is bought into that sort of bourgeois you know mayo white hipstery indie culture pitchfork shit which a lot of us did in the last 10 years participates in that culture and i don't know how to actively get out of it <laughs> stay inside do not consume yeah. their products save your money for drugs yeah then i take the i want to think i want to think that we are in a different era even though bands like one I, and 100 gex is the mm -hmm. band that i'm going to use as something that's a band that i would consider like futurist or or the oh, actually people i don't in know hyper pop in yeah, general i don't know if i consider them futurist that's an interesting question i that is an inter is 100 gex futurist or retroist man yeah um hmm i was listen. i gave like a deep listen to their album which is i think called 1000 gex 1,000 gex, yes. Uh, it's either that or 10,000. I can't remember. Um, it's, the, the remix album was called Tree of Clues. It's very good, and I like yes. it, and it's cool. Uh, it doesn't give me the nostalgia that, like, the new retro wave stuff does, like the John Mouse synth stuff. Yeah, you know? or Tame Impala, or the Arcade Fire. I mean, the thing or about, even like, fucking Neutral Milk Hotel. With John Mouse, you're better off listening to Japan, um, hands down. Mm. Uh, just go listen to to Japan. Or the Drive soundtrack. Oh, that's the other thing that I wanted to talk about that I didn't mention is I think that uh, if you want a movie that I think has singularly defined the crossover hipster fash aesthetic, it is the movie Drive. Hmm. Um, and from the movie Drive, we re really got the popularity of synthwave. Mm -hmm. And from synthwave, there's an actual genre called fashwave. Yeah. And you can look it up on YouTube. Pert um, Pert but Perturbator. Have you heard of him? No. Perturbator. Is he a fashwave yep. artist? Pertur there per you go. Pertur it's either perturbator or perturbator. Like, perturbator. Like to perturb, but mm -hmm. bator. I believe mm -hmm. one of the... Um, Late, uh, I don't know. Do we have any way of delineating mass shootings in terms of eras or epochs? Like, what epoch of mass shooting are we in now? But like, whatever the last one was, I feel like the I feel like we're in the paddock era of mass shooting, where it's totally divorced from any sort of yeah. understanding the perpetrator. Where was one? Where it's just become a, an a, like a, a natural phenomena, like a hurricane. There that's was, what people accept now. There's one mass shooter recently who was an adolescent boy who was really into perturb perturbator and it kind of mm. made made some news as um it's not great music but it is no. fash wave it's synth fash music it's like it's like almost like wagner with techno it's kind of yes it's like dramatic it's, it's, it's just like electro swing 
<laughs> the worst genre of music Are you of all time. Bringing that up because of that horrible um, uh, streamer uh, Vouch. Oh, uh, Vouch. Vouch. Uh, no, I'm not bringing. Maybe I did see that thread where where like uh, bad for clout leftist streamer Vouch. I don't know anything about Vouch. I mean, <laughs> but uh, he just he, is like a like a guy whose career is to do nothing. Um, uh, yeah. He's listening to like the top 100 albums that 4chan thinks are the best albums right now, like yeah. the Mew, the Board Mew albums. Like mm-hmm. so, it's the classic, like the first Burzum album, My Bloody Valentine, um, Kid A, like some Unknown Pleasures by Joy Division, yeah, and Slint. Slint um, uh, I do like Sp- Spider-Man. I mean, is yeah, spider lands a masterpiece. There's some masterpieces in there, but it is very like 2004 era of uh, yeah. music taste, and everyone's kind of dunking on him because he said that the only good one so far was the Queens of the Stone Age album, and everyone is like, <laughs> "You're an idiot," because that's a, yeah. that's an idiotic thing to say. Cause they, but then he <laughs> made a tweet where he said, "I hate most music, but I do like electro swing." Right. That so. He's not, gonna like, swig. he's not gonna like. <laughs> he's not gonna like most of these albums. Um, yeah, it's that the the four chan taste in music is funny. Um, I never, I, I went back on my days going on four chan in like two thousand five. I didn't place much stock in their music taste because I already had a pretty established music taste of my own at that point. Pixies mm-hmm. all the time, a hundred percent of the time, it has to be Pixies. <laughs> <laughs> <I'm sorry. laughs> nothing but pixies please tur- turn down that led zeppelin put on pixies now a subaculture it's my <laughs> subaculture yeah i was really i really loved them but uh now it appears they are lame well their last couple of albums have been very shitty because they're doing it they're in it for the money yeah well the drummer which is fine the drummer always needs the money <laughs> he is he david lovering has been a like a failed magician he's had a bad addiction he always needs money so okay and do uh, it for lovering and i am pissed that uh they didn't get kim deal but maybe kim deal was making too too much of a big deal out of something like payment <laughs> or or She's not making a kim deal not being it. an asshole to me some kind of crazy demand like don't scream at me or be an asshole <laughs> Uh, and Frank Black said, "No, I'm no." I am Frank Black. I'm a big baby yeah. man, and I, I write good songs, but I'm mean. Um, <laughs> well, as we know, Kim Deal writes better songs. Kim Deal does write better songs. Yeah. I love the Breeders. Yeah. The Breeders are great. They are. Listen to the Breeders, but also listen to Pod and Last Splash. Also listen to the Pixies. But um, the Breeders actually released a decent album in the last decade. So Really? Mm-hmm. I should check it out. Yeah. It's got check a, it some, out some cool out. stuff on it. If you still Do like I music, have... though. I don't I actually yeah. like music anymore. I think it's a little bit uh, lowbrow. The genre of eh. music known as music, I find to be <laughs> lowbrow. <laughs> uh, I once heard someone refer to non-cochlear music. Which is music that you don't experience with your little spiral dealy, which is you know music that I guess you just don't hear. So conceptual music. Okay. Huh. <laughs> That's well, the only music that I'm into is non-cochlear music. Yeah. The, well, I, is it music that you hear inside your mind? I don't. Uh, no, hold on. Let me let me look this up. This is a funny. I wonder if this is. I wonder if this is so 
uh, out there. It's ungoogleable. Hi. Okay, this uh, no, it's a thing. Non cochlear sound art. Non cochlear sound by Christoph Cox. Uh, Marcel, non retinal visual art champion Barton. Okay, I these are just all academic articles, but it's definitely a concept that exists. Mm -hmm. I can't access any of them. They're all behind paywalls. Yeah. Uh, but according to Amazon, there is a book called In the Blink of the Ear Toward a Non-Cochlear Sonic Art. And it looks like by Seth Kim Cohen. So if you want to learn more, read that book I haven't read. In the Blink of a 182. <laughs> hey, now. You know what I Where was listening to? I, I listened to the Sum 41 single. Um, that what was their big hit single? Fat Lip? Gosh. Do, 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 do. You should know because they're Canadian. Do, 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 do. The big Sum 41 do, 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 hit. Do, do. Yeah, uh, what, what's the, how did the chorus go? Uh, I don't want to waste oh, Alex, my time, become another... Oh, you can't hear me? He muted himself uh, while he I was... muted myself. You muted yourself when I, you were... I was, I was just saying, Yeah. I don't want to waste my right. time, become another casualty of society, don't want to fall in line, become another victim of the conformity. Yeah, they're great. You didn't. I didn't want to become a no, victim it's, of conformity. No, it's that's not the one though. It was uh, um, uh, uh, was it? Uh, keep my head up. Because I'm in too deep, deep yeah, and keep I'm my trying head up above. to keep all the blood in my head. It's yeah. not all the blood. It's trying to keep my head up above. It's trying to keep up above. It's a weird line. There's a no. Nice, I think it's like all the blood in my head. No, it's trying to keep up there. above in my head. Keep up above. I don't know. It's Keep weird. Up it's above. a weird line, but there's a nice instance of counterpoint in the verse that I liked, and I was listening, <laughs> listening to the production on it. Mm -hmm. It's, um, it's. I mean, it's okay. It's like, it's so crafted that you know. I w w the main thing that struck me is that like when I saw that, um, Sum Forty One was like the first instance of <clears throat> me realizing something felt manufactured about music. Because mm. I knew about Blink-182. I think I was like eight or nine. Blink-182 was pretty big, obviously, for a young boy in our culture. Because they was like saying stuff like dick, which was great. Yeah. It was great to hear that said. I hear that, that yes. uttered. It was always a thrill <laughs> to hear the word dick uttered. And so then I'm like, okay, I'm on MTV. Carson Daly's on. He's telling me there's a band called Sum 41. And I'm like, Really? So you expect me to believe that another group of kids just in their garage, like the idyllic band that you have in your head, just came together and they also have like a formulaic name with numbers at the end. It seemed kind of unbelievable, but I went with it. But I, that was like the first cr crack in the glass, I think, for what I'm now going through, which is a total, I totally abandoned our music. I've just totally abandoned music. Um, I only listen to Electro Swing now because <laughs> it's not music. It's Electro Swing is non-cochlear sound art. But that that band was so put together by a company. It's crazy. It sounds no. It sound like it sounds completely manufactured. They're all natural from Ajax. How dare you insult Ajax Ontario's finest? Okay, maybe they started, but the product that was released, that song, uh, I don't want to waste my time, or no, whatever, I'm in, in too deep. 
It's mm-hmm. it's very manufactured. Yeah. It was the style at the time. And I guess there is no... I guess rock music has largely fallen out of favor in the uh, mainstream consciousness. Well, what's... To bring this back around, like... Nostalgia doesn't work for that yet. Which is mm-hmm. interesting. Like, I, I was searching for the nostalgia. I was like, maybe I'll like... Maybe, like, hearing this Sum 41 song I haven't heard in 10 or 15 years. Because why? Like, unless I turned on the radio and heard it. Um, yeah. The nostalgia didn't work. The video was stupid. Uh, what's his face? <laughs> I mean, they did look like like they were fifteen. Um, mm-hmm. But it's interesting to me that the nostalgia didn't work. Where it does work with other, like they were ju- just as much so manufacturing music in the eighties. Mm-hmm. Why does that manufactured music evince a nostalgia in a person? Because you did, you weren't. If you weren't around to remember it, you can appreciate it ironically, mm. and in appreciating it, because you remember what it was like to be a kid and take the music of Blink One Eighty Two and Some Forty One seriously, and because you still have an attachment to that actual grounded emotional reality, you can't actually divorce the music from its intent, uh, and as a result, you're still vulnerable when you hear it because you actually have emotions to associate it with. But when you hear stuff from the 80s, you know, it's it's from it's from a dead time. It's from a time that you have no experience with. And it's from somewhere far ago. I think that also also figures into the aesthetic of uh John Mouse and Ariel Pink as well because it has this shitty lo-fi recording quality. Even though they're not outsider people, they're not like Daniel Johnston, they don't have actual mental problems, uh, they take that sound in order to, you know, show you that they're in some place far away or that they're in something that, you know, is divorced from reality a little. Um, And it becomes a safe space in which to not only, you know, wane nostalgic, but also to throw around, uh, you know... What if uh, Hitler was right, huh? <laughs> hmm. Well, I, I hope, don't know if I'm extrapolating. I too hope far. that they it's, this doesn't start happening more because it's 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 makes it harder to figure out who is bad and who is good, or who you want to put into an out group and who you want to put into your in group. When people like John Mouse and Ariel Pink are blurring the lines culturally. It's weird mm-hmm. because they are not like I think it's showing people that you know maybe you do need to reexamine um the people close to you for mm-hmm. for uh unorthodox or fascist beliefs because it's like you know these are all these were both artists that a lot of left-wing people like so mm-hmm. for them to do this, it's kind of a shock to the system. It's like, who else? Is um, mm-hmm. is Tom York going to show up at one of these things? Mm. That would be great. But I think <laughs> that that is also a feature of the, you know, Gavin McInnes hipster ideology where you base so much of your personality and so much of what you love around tastes in the same way that, you know, in fascist ideology, you stake out your identity around a piece of land in in this hipster fascism you stake it out around a piece of aesthetic you stake it out around a scene Mm. let's say 
as opposed to a piece of land. And, you know, when, uh, when that sort of thing becomes everything in your life, uh, uh, you, uh, when you start appraising the surface level as what is important to you and what ultimately defines your personality, expect to be disappointed constantly. Hmm. Because you know, that's that. I guess the, if there's anything that that's been the most painful lesson of my life is that defining myself based on my tastes was like a one-way route to madness. Yeah, it's not good. It's better to to just. I mean, take a really laid-back approach to how much of your own worth, self-worth, you um, you associate with your taste and art of various kinds because art is complicated and i'm still not convinced that um we even should be allowed to to move on to the higher forms of expression because we haven't (laughs) you know movies i think are a little too advanced still i was thinking about this the other day like movies are every kind of art put together into one like and then we act like it's one art form that Mm -hmm. like the the filmmaker is not really an artist in the, the way that a painter is. Mm-hmm. All the different kinds of art go up and go are, are have to be used to make a movie. It's, so it's really interesting. Mm-hmm. It's like the pinnacle of art forms, but it's some would say video games. Uh, perhaps, yeah, that's interesting. Maybe, um, maybe when, well, maybe. There's a difference between the interacting and not, and then if it's just to be observed. Most art mm-hmm. generally is just to be observed. The interaction between the the observer and the art is, a, I don't know when that came about, but we're probably still not Bear ready. told Brecht. We're probably still know. not ready for that either. I'm trying. I'm getting across. We haven't painted all the paintings that need to be painted before we can get to yeah. um, pictures. You know, we. Maybe before we even have photographic lens, we need to paint everything. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's just me being a crank about art appreciation and aesthetics, which is kind of what we're talking about. Yeah. It's, well, because that's what, mm-hmm. at, at the end of the day, what fascism is, more than anything else, is an aesthetic philosophy. And from that aesthetism, all other aspects of it, it's it's... Um, economic theory, its social theory spins out from its primary, the primacy of its uh, of its aesthetics, and that is what also defines the Gavin McInnes hipster culture, which is the primacy of aesthetics, and from all else, from from the, your superficial tastes, and from the way that you present yourself walking down Bedford Avenue, mm-hmm. you know, from all else uh, comes uh, flows from the, your social and political realities come from you promenading in fashion down Bedford Avenue. And uh, I feel that is still sort of our prominent culture. We haven't been able to shake that, or at least bourgeois culture, uh, in a coastal bourgeois elites culture that you know both you and I essentially participate in. Mm-hmm. Uh that's still the predominant ideology that's still the predominant rule of cool is this irony soaked presentism uh presentationism uh, championed first by the north american al-baghdadi 
Gavin McInnes. Yeah. I love that. That's his new title. Yeah. But I guess I shouldn't love it. But uh, maybe Biden will extrajudiciously drone bomb him. That'll be great. Yeah. I bet. Yeah. That would be funny because, of course, all the, you know, we'd be like, oh, you're such a hypocrite. When they drone bomb, you were upset when they drone bombed Gavin McInnes, but you weren't upset when they drone bombed <laughs> Ariel Pink. And I, like, when <laughs> I want to start drone bombing indie musicians. <laughs> that and that would be great. That, that would be get all my competition out of the way, and then <laughs> yeah, and then you will become the synth, the synth wave master. Yeah, I, I still won't buy a, a fucking synth, so I'm not ever gonna be a synth wave master if I'll only use the free synths. Mm. Yeah. Well, the hipster to fash pipeline. That's my theory. What do you? What did you think? Yeah, it's Steve? it's. It's got legs. I think we need to work on um, cutting a hole in that pipeline so that it leaks everywhere. Yeah. Or actually, yeah, that would be bad. Juice. No, maybe we should All just over the Midwest. cap the pipeline and so it doesn't leak everywhere. Yeah. yeah. That's what we need. That's that's the future that we we should be hoping for. The big shift in technology is going to be butt plug based gonna need big future butt plugs to butt plug everything up we gotta butt plug the internet up yeah exactly we gotta put butt plugs in the internet and there's like you know you can just say plug you don't have to say butt nope no they're butt plugs it's a butt plug for the internet it's a it's a butt plug for the (laughs) it's basically like a butt plug it's like a for the internet you know (laughs) we all wear one right Mm mm-hmm I'm, I, I have my furry tail in right now. It's a beaver. It's cool. a beaver tail butt plug. Cool. Never, we only have them in Canada. I've heard you shouldn't put a pine cone up your butt. <laughs> Whoa. I've heard that. Have you heard that? Because it will get stuck. Who's been putting pine cones up their butt? Well, people who don't know that they will get stuck when you try to take them out. <laughs> yeah, because they have the flared edges, yeah. which I imagine would catch on your intestine. Exactly. Exactly. It's not good. Yeah, no, you shouldn't do it. You shouldn't put the pine cone up your butt. That's my word of advice. But that's the show for this week. Uh, congratulations, Stephen, on the beb. Oh yeah, be- um, we will. Yeah. Uh, I say it like, um, what's her face from Schitt's Creek now? Bebe. 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 The bebe. The bebe. The bebe. Uh, we will uh, continue. We will report more on the situation as it uh, as it goes further yeah but we're all very good we're all very good (laughs) have a good week bye-bye